Hello, everyone, and welcome to Show Hoppers. Today, we have something very exciting in store for you. I am Mr. Sal, a high school science teacher, joined, as always, by my co-host, former student, and buddy for fancy frolicking, Kurt. Kurt, how are you? Uh, well, Mr. Sal, I'm pretty excited. I think you know why. Flonkin' A right, I do. Uh, it truly is our privilege to welcome creator, writer, producer, director, composer, animator, and star of Centaur World, Megan Nicole Dong. Hi, Megan. Hi, um, that was delightful. Oh. You guys have really watched the show. <laughs> it's just that way more than me. But Thank yeah. you for that. I was, yeah, I was really... Uh, yeah, that's a that's a you guys have a lovely intro. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thanks. Yeah, uh, I have seen the show. And now I should tell you, I have young children. I have a 10 year old and a six year old, uh, my, my Sunnletons. And uh, and they do call me that. <laughs> they do call me Daddleton, by the way. Oh, my so. God. <laughs> uh, but so, yeah, it is. And, and we've watched the show between the times that they've watched them and the times that I've actually sat down to have a dedicated watch of it i've probably seen it five or six times kurt's only seen it the once but oh wow yeah <laughs> well when, when you have little kids they're gonna watch what they watch and you're gonna absorb it regardless whether you want to or not now i did want to in this case so that's yeah. good that's good to know. Yeah. <laughs> i'm glad i'm glad it was a voluntary yeah. experience and you weren't sort of dragged into it <laughs> well it, i had a, a really interesting point of entry into the series. Uh, I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about that uh, later on uh, when I, I have a question that I want to ask you about that. But okay. it's it, it it was not necessarily necessarily a linear consumption of the series at first. Okay. <laughs> so at any rate. Uh, so most of your credits, Megan, up to this point uh, have been in the animation and art departments uh, on most of the shows and uh, movies that you've worked on. But on Centaur mm -hmm. World, not only did you work in the art, art department, but you also produced, you wrote, you directed, I think you composed the music, is that right? Or some of it? Yeah, um, I, so um, I, I wrote maybe a little over half of the songs and then mm -hmm. my co-EP, so like my, basically like my co-captain, um, yep. he, he wrote um, a lot of the other ones and then we co-wrote some together. So mm -hmm. yeah, um, I wrote a bunch of the music and then we also had a separate composer, um, a really amazingly talented, uh, individual named Toby Chu who uh, produced all the songs for us and and also did the score. Oh great that's great and you starred in this as well so you had <laughs> a lot of roles for, for those of mm -hmm. you who don't know listeners uh, Megan was the voice of Glendale on this on the show among others if you had some other voices I think you were one of the glitter cats right? Yes yep. yeah um <laughs> And um, to, to, to what you were saying about um, me being in the art department, um, yep. in uh, my, my previous, my, I guess my background in animation was primarily in storyboarding, um, mm -hmm. which includes a lot of writing in animation, depending on the kinds of productions that you're on. So uh, I, I did storyboarding, um, which involved a lot of writing in it, and mm -hmm. then um, di some directing too. So, so there was already um, some stuff that I'd done before that kind of helped prepare for, for this kind of a role. Oh, great. Yeah, that, that's that's outstanding. So of all of these roles that you had on this show, which one did you enjoy the most? Um, I think I really loved the fact that I got to do to wear so many hats or the fact that I got to do so many different things the most. But um, I, I'm a huge musical theater lover and a huge fan of musical theater. Um, mm -hmm. I, I know I've told this the backstory before, but kind of the mm -hmm. inspiration for Centaur World was you know, being in high school and um, expecting to be in a different class and then ending up with, uh, with 
ending up being in show choir because it was the only available elective that fit into my schedule. <laughs> and um, initially being really overwhelmed by it because I was you know, more introverted and a little socially anxious. And um, it, I wasn't used to being silly and goofy and singing in front of other people so much. And, um, and that ended up being a really transformative experience for me. And I ended up kind of gearing, going towards the, the arts and um, music was a big part of music and musical theater was it was a huge thing for me uh, growing up and um, getting so getting to do something that was um, a musical and getting to write and structure it and do all the things that I, I uh, incorporate all those things that I love about um, musical theater into a series was the most exciting part of it for me. Oh, that sounds great. I mean, and it's it sounds very familiar to uh, maybe the main character in this series. Is that Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great. Excellent. Is there a role that you had on Centaur World that you hope you never have to do again? Oh gosh. Um, <laughs> All of them. No. <laughs> I no. It was. I. I. Um, I would say that there are always some sorts of parts of the process that is uncomfortable, mm-hmm. but uh, I. I always try to look for those new experiences as uh, as a part as learning or or something just to experience growth from. So I actually wouldn't say there was anything that I really hated from the process or anything that I wouldn't want to do again, except um, I will say that doing the kind of Elizabeth Holmes voice was shockingly <laughs> difficult on the vocal really? cords. That was one where like, I used to do that voice as a joke kind of, and then, but then having to do it in the same day as, um, surprisingly it was hard, harsher on the vocal cords than doing the, the, the regular Glendale voice, which, you know, it sounds like I'm gargling glass already, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, like just kind of doing that really low voice was actually really tough. Where wow. after, like the next day I was like, oh man, that was uncomfortable. That, that and that was harder than the, the normal Glendale voice. Yeah. Weirdly enough. Um, cause that day, uh, cause that episode has so many Glendale lines. It was such yeah, a Glendale he- heavy mm-hmm. episode. And mm-hmm. so I had to go from doing the Glendale voice into that Elizabeth Holmes voice. And then mm-hmm. we just kind of recorded it straight through. Sometimes we'll take, we'll have, um, you know, the actor record the music first or, or whatever their preference is, but we just kind of went mm-hmm. straight through and then having to sing after, after doing this sort of deep <laughs> thing with the voice was, <laughs> was really, was actually pretty tough. Like I felt like I'd gotten a workout. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting that you bring that up. We, we did want to ask you, what, what, can you talk about the choice to draw the parallel between Glendale and Elizabeth Holmes here? Um, <laughs> I mean, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Holmes was just some, was a character that was just so interesting in general. I think I, we, <laughs> we talked about her a lot. And, um, and Glendale is a character whose morals are, uh, you know, um, as with many of the characters in the show, she, she, she's kind of gray. Some of the things that she does are, you know, it's not really what you'd want as imitatable behavior. And um, Elizabeth Holmes was a, was a person um, in the public eye and, and her situation was one where she divided our writer's room a lot too, because oh. I think we, we all agreed that what she did was terrible and that she's probably, you know, she's got, she's got a lot of issues and what she did was terrible. And yet we were mm-hmm. also torn because we were like, what she did was also, um, the same as a lot of her male colleagues, what a lot of her male <laughs> colleagues have been doing for years. So, uh-huh. um, so it actually inspired a lot of debate. And um, I think, I think it was just uh, we, when we were talking about Glendale doing a TED talk, we Im- immediately <laughs> thought 
thought of having her <laughs> do Elizabeth Holmes. <laughs> well, speaking it was pretty of, brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, speaking of Glendale, though, so she has kleptomania and that's, you know, the yes. big part of her character. <laughs> yeah. So why did you choose to have a character in like a family series? You know, you're taught not to steal, but Glendale mm-hmm. constantly steals. So why 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 did you decide to put that on display? I think that we wanted to have a bunch of characters, um, especially for our herd, uh, characters that all had different sorts of flaws. Uh, most of our characters embody uh, like different coping mechanisms for trauma. And uh, what we loved about this this little family that we created, I guess, was the idea that these characters were going to have flaws. Some flaws that probably should be corrected, but they weren't going. We weren't going to show them correcting those things. They were going to just sort of accept each other for mm-hmm. uh, their flaws, no matter how big. And that wasn't going to be the focus of the show. Mm-hmm. But we were just going to, ha- you know, have a group of characters that really just accepted each, accepted one another in spite of their their flaws. And in, in Glendale's case, that's a. I mean, she's literally a criminal. Always <laughs> 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 sometimes for the benefit, like the key. You know what I mean? Sometimes it works out. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it, it helps. <laughs> Oh, that's great. It, it, just to, to put a bow on Glendale here, th- there's something that I have always wondered about Glendale. And that is, so in the song, Portal Tummy and Me, Glendale says, I don't have a dad or mother. Well, maybe I did before. And then her portal tummy burps. So <laughs> she also, but she also says to Wamawink that you should just go, everybody else does. So did Glendale portal tummy her parents or did they abandon her because they were scared of her? <laughs> um. So yes, <laughs> I, you know, I always, I always, you can give a vague answer did, I, I, I won't be vague. I'll be, okay. um, oh, I'll be upfront. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there was, there was like, I had written um, like a bullet point. Like there was a scene if the, if the final movie, if, if um, episode eight or season two, if it was mm-hmm. longer, there would have been a, a scene where, Jebri would have stumbled upon her parents in the portal. Oh, oh wow. Because, uh, yeah, her parents are in there. <laughs> we implied it, but we didn't get to explore it further. But in my mind, her parents are definitely in there. <laughs> oh, that is brilliant. I love I it. wonder, like, if her parents have the portal tummy power and then, like, is, uh-huh. What do you think now? I think, I imagine that they, I mean, like, they have they have a tv they have you know <laughs> they, yeah i don't i don't know they, they're in there somewhere but i don't think and in, in my head they 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 kind of don't remember how they got there and they don't fully know where exactly they are anymore <laughs> so yeah it's, it's a little bit dark but a lot of the stuff a lot of the things in our show um kind of rode that line of being kind of messed up yeah oh I, and I that mean, was one of them <laughs> but that's 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 what we love about it so, so far much, the charm yeah. Yeah, yeah it's it's yeah so i i love that I, i'm and thank you so much for sharing that uh, that is unexpected yeah. so that's great that's great well i guess back, back to your background a bit more right so you wrote a lot mm-hmm. of songs in the series with uh dominic Bizignano. Mm-hmm. uh yes. you wrote a lot of them as well which of those songs are you most proud of like not maybe you didn't like it the most but you 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 get the most pride in terms of making it yeah, um, the um, "Breathe in a Bag" it was definitely one that I'm. <laughs> I think was one of the most challenging ones to write, and I do feel oh, some pride in having finally cracked that one because mm-hmm. um, that was tough for me. Weirdly, because I was writing it for my own character, yeah. but also because, like, I knew thematically we had to. It was something about anxiety, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, I, I, which is something that I do 
personally struggle with on some level. Mm-hmm. So it felt personal. It's a big topic and it was for the characters. So I felt a lot of pressure writing that one. Um, but, but yeah, like it was one that I ended up feeling really proud of. Um, and then Becky Apples, I think, <laughs> if not for just the fact that I got to rhyme, um, you know, schmuck with Becky, how you like them apples because I think your apples suck. Yeah, I wrote all the songs for episode one too um, mm-hmm. from, from the whole series. So like getting to write um, Writer's Lullaby and um, Rain- Hello Rainbow Road and, and some of those songs that, that came back as late motifs, um, mm-hmm. you know, where we reused some of those themes later throughout the series, mm-hmm. kind of writing those foundational songs. There's something about um, kind of having done that in isolation. I, I'd written the songs for that episode um, before we had a crew, before Dominic was there, before, mm-hmm. you know, before there were other people. So uh, yeah, that was kind of a special experience, just kind of doing these crappy piano demos by myself <laughs> in a, in a build, weird building in Hollywood when we were just starting, because that was also when um, Netflix didn't have an like they were just getting their animation studio started too. So we were in this really janky oh. building and they were building offices <laughs> around us. And, and it was like a really, um, and it was really fun. It felt like going, being back in art school or something because there was oh, just wow. sort of these weird cubicles and it felt like, it felt like a startup. And um, oh, there was something a little about casual that vibe. Energy. Yeah, it was, it was just sort of, it had such a, um, it wasn't just, it wasn't really casual so much as mm-hmm. it was like, we were, they were physically building, a, uh, you know, building things around us. And then they were also building a studio at the same time. And um, so I was there and then there was, you know, people directing, there were, uh, let's see, Chris Williams was directing a movie and his, his, his office was right next to mine and Jorge Gutierrez was working on uh, Maya and the Three and his office was up the hallway. They just had like a hallway and there were all these people, all these creators kind of just initially developing their, their stories. And it was everything from preschool to adults to, um, you know, some of the, the, the features and then those of us making series. And it was just such a fun, exciting time. And we would share stuff with each other. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, uh, writing that first, the music for that first episode in that space and kind of, we would have to sometimes record our, um, like I remember recording vocals in like these whisper pods that they had, like these little oh. glass whisper pods. And Dominic did that too later when he came on because you know, we were in like an open floor plan. So we would have to just kind of go in there and be singing, you know, with other people working in cubes around us. It was really <laughs> awkward, yeah. but it, it felt kind of more punk rock in that way. It's sort of like, yep, we're just, we're going to make this. Do what you got to do, yeah. We'll, we'll do whatever we got to do. So... That's good. Cool. Well, it's interesting. Go ahead, Kurt. Sorry. Oh, oh no. Uh, I was supposed to say the last like bit of background to ask was just, you know, in terms of uh, your background in art and animation, how did that influence how you wrote Centaur World compared to what a traditional writer may have done, you know, writing any animated series? Well, I think because um, from, I think the thing, the main thing that made it different was the fact that it, it's a musical, a musical mm-hmm. series. And um, I think there are a lot of shows that have music in them. Yeah. In animation and uh, in most cases I think someone else usually writes the music there usually is a separate composer or someone else but um the fact that we were gonna have we we knew that we wanted at least three songs per episode and we wanted the music to be narrative um and so that was very different for the writing process because that meant that uh the songs were not just going to be like and now there's a random you know a random dance break or now there's just going to be a random part where everyone starts singing 
But um, <laughs> uh, that meant that, uh, and the fact that uh, Dominic and I were, were writing the music, I think that was, that was gonna, that was always like a big challenge. So uh, the way we did it was we kind of outlined the whole thing and uh, Dominic and I were in the writer's room from the beginning. And um, I, I posted it on Twitter, I think, but there was like, we basically had these big boards and we had um, the whole series listed out with post-it notes and cards. And then there was a row mm. in the bottom that was tiny little post-it notes. And those were all the songs. And we knew from the beginning, oh God, we're gonna have to write, you know, at least 50 something to 75 <laughs> songs. Oh, wow. And, um, <laughs> Yeah, so from the beginning, we, uh, like, as scripts were being written, we were writing songs, and then we would go, you know, go with the writers, make sure that these fit into the scripts, um, there were no redundancies, and that, like, so we were, it was always very collaborative, we were always talking, and even the way that we wrote, um, Megan McCarthy was our story editor, and she, she um, was on My Little Pony, Friendship's Magic, and has a lot of experience being a story editor, and sh her way of working was, um, the writer would write the first draft by themselves, and then we would, you know, while while myself or Dominic was writing demos, and then we would table read it as a group and kind of write that second draft together, so it felt cohesive, so that all of us were were rewriting, you know, all, like all of us were writing as a group for each episode, and then meanwhile we would be playing or singing or, or you know playing our rough demos, and it felt really fresh every time we were doing that, and um, it felt like we were kind of um it was it was like a it was it felt more unified for a show that is so you know off the wall and has so many different uh tones and themes going on um it was the thing that was like allowed us to have it feel cohesive but it was i think the having the music be such an um like an integrated part of the storytelling presented that challenge so what would happen um is we would um we would do, we would write these demos and then we would send them to our composer and composers uh, usually come in later, usually like in post-production, but our composer came on in pre-production. And so we would give him these demos where we were singing and we, uh, you know, like in my case, I usually had some very basic piano or, or something really rough of maybe a ukulele or something. And okay. then um, he would take it and fully produce it. So he would create all the inst instrumentation and he was so involved in the narrative of it too. Um, the, the best example of that was in the tree shaman episode in episode four, when they're in the forest, um, he created yeah. like percussion out of like, like he and his assistant went to Home Depot, um, Toby and <laughs> his assistant Bryce, who was also amazing. They went to Home Depot and they, and they got like wood and, and then he, they went and got bags of like dried leaves and they made shakers out of dried leaves. And oh. they, some of the percussion is actually like wood being bent or like them chopping wood. Oh, so, wow. um, so he really got into it or like sometimes we would just have these discussions about like the tone or like what was happening in the story. And then he would be like, well, you know, for like the, the tornado, for example, in mm. episode two, Yep. I think um, we were talking about like what woodwinds and what sort of, you know, like also we got really nerdy about like what instruments would best represent a tornado. <laughs> um, but yeah, having that influence very early on really was really great where there could be all this dialogue about the texture of it. And um, having produced songs for our storyboard artists to work with was also amazing because it was so inspiring for them to hear like these, you know, like this very instrumentally rich music um, yeah. And then, then after we were done with that, he went back and 
did the whole thing again, but basically did the, the score. So he'd already written, he'd already like helped us um, with the composing and, and, and producing all this music. And then mm -hmm. he went back to through the beginning and, and did the score for it for post-production. And so like, that was also really, really awesome. Where it just, oh, wow. again, feels, you know, like he was as much a part of the storytelling um, as everyone else was. And so, so you have like interconnected. So you it was so it's more interconnected than the typical uh, writing style of an animated series. Would you say like or cross dialogue? Um, it was yeah. It, it felt very. It felt um, like there was a lot of cohesion, or there was mm -hmm. a lot of different departments working together and problem solving. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing that was different was um, because we had two worlds. We actually had two different animation studios mm -hmm. um, doing the two styles. So. We had uh, Red Dog Culture House, who I think a lot of those guys had animated on like Avatar and Korra and oh, shows okay. like that. And uh -huh. um, they did like the stuff in, in Rider and Horses World, uh -huh. like okay. the first, you know, at the very beginning and, and, and yep. um, most of those scenes. And then um, Mercury Filmworks in Canada did um, most of the Centaur World stuff. But uh. because we knew that we were going to have, um, you know, characters going back and forth, especially as we got into season two, we got, we had more of that. They had to, you know, like we would have times when um, the studio that specialized in uh, more of the serious anime style would have to animate Comfortable Doug or some of the, you know, horse <laughs> when she's wibbly wobbly. Right. <laughs> so kind of problem solving all of that too was interesting. Cause that's like, like I, uh... yeah, it was really fun. Yeah, it, so <laughs> um, it sounds like a, a like a nanny. It was a hootenanny. <laughs> it was a creative hootenanny because <laughs> we had two two studios and like opposite ends of the earth, kind of having to you know share information. Like you know, like how do you, you know, like how are you guys drawing these really round, yeah. bouncy characters? Yeah, yeah it, was, wow. it was it was really great. That's that's outstanding. Uh, but before uh, we get to start digging into some of uh, the themes and, and more characters, I, I wanted I have a, a question here. It's a it's a recorded question from my wife Leslie. Uh, she's a teacher, a musician, illustrator, and artist. And uh, listeners, if you want to check out her Instagram, it's Leslie Cubica Illustration. But anyway, uh, she has a question for you about kind of the the initial spark of of Centaur World. So, Kurt, can you play that question? Hey, Megan, it's nice to meet you. I was wondering what came first in your process when you were started developing Centaur World. Was it the music? a song or was it a character or was it maybe part of the story? What was the spark? Um, I know when I develop stories, um, there's always that spark, like that initial idea. Um, and it's so exciting or maybe it's not. Um, so what was it for you? And was it exciting or was it just like a random thing that you wrote in one of your notebooks or something like that? Um, I'm looking forward to your answer. Thanks. That is an excellent question. Um, that's such a well thought out question. And um, I love talking about process too, because I know it's mm -hmm. different for everybody. And um, so the first character that, I, there, <laughs> there's kind of two parts to the answer. Okay. Um, the first character I ever drew from Centaur World was Derpleton. And it was like, gosh, like seven years ago, maybe. Wow. Um, I think I had maybe drawn him on a chopstick. Huh? <laughs> at a restaurant um, and 
Yeah, and uh, a restaurant called Daichon in in uh, Studio City, which is uh, which is great. They're family owned and they're lovely. And they started keeping the drawings I left there. Actually. Oh wow! <laughs> so I think Durpleton's still somewhere in there from like a while ago. Um, and then I, I would draw him for. I would sometimes post him on Instagram. Just as like I, I used to draw comics about these weird mermaids, um, just to different different species like seahorse, pregnant male seahorse mermaids, and other things. Um, and and uh, and then I started drawing centaurs. I just loved I love you know um, I love animals. I love biology, and um, I, I just thought it was really funny to draw centaurs that weren't just horses you know that anything can be a centaur right. kind of thing mm-hmm. and um so I, I used to just draw this giraffe guy who you know who was kind of buff because because he made me laugh um but then I then I started drawing Wink, and then I just started thinking about um about this as a world and then um I I drew a picture of <clears throat> just a regular a regular old horse standing there staring at Durpleton oh. and um, I'm, I'm sure there's, I can probably send you a picture of it later after this, but, really? but yeah, I had, I had, yeah, I, I have it. It's, it, I have a photo of it somewhere and, um, yeah, I, I drew that picture and that was kind of the spark where I thought it would, gosh, it would be really funny. Um, if there was a, it, it, like, this could be a show, um, yeah. somehow I knew I wanted to make a musical. And then, um, I started relating it to my own experiences. Cause I, I thought it, this, you know, for this show, it can't be, um, it has to just be a regular horse, like, but also maybe mm-hmm. a tough horse, not, you know, I, I started thinking about that. And then the, the log line, the original log line when I was developing this um, mm-hmm. was what would happen if you dropped Brienne of Tarth into the land of the Muppets? Oh, my God. I love that. I oh, with. my God. Oh, wow. So, you've, you've touched on two of my favorite things there. So that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I, I thought like, it'd be great if you took someone who's literally from an action show, you know, from mm-hmm. just a completely different world. And I love, you know, I love Game of Thrones. I love yeah, all so sorts I, of different so things. I, yeah. And then I'm a child of the 90s. And, um, yep. you know, I grew up on on so many of those Henson films, like Labyrinth and yep. Neverending mm-hmm. Story. And they had such a yep. such a combination of some really dark themes. Um, yeah. And, and like some really cute fun characters but also some really terrifying imagery and that was oh, something yeah. that I grew up with and so and mm-hmm. um and so I really wanted to yeah like I, I really wanted to combine all these things that I loved um the other inspirations for Centaur World were, were things like video games too like um uh the Zelda games and uh, oh, yeah. specifically Ocarina of Time yep. and that relationship that Link has with Epona is is you know um yeah. that you develop in that game uh yeah like the result there were a lot of different things that I wanted to incorporate um but but that was kind of the, the springboard the starting point was was there and then I started relating it to my home, my own personal experiences about yeah. like I discussed earlier being yep. you know going from being a, a shy a shyer person to going into show choir and having mm-hmm. that kind of fundamentally change you as a person so I was right. thinking, you know, like what would happen if, you know, Brian of Tarth joined Glee or, you know, or, was, <laughs> or, or had to go on a road trip with the Muppets. So, um, and then the first thing I did when I was developing the show was write the theme song. So I, I wrote the theme yep. song and then I storyboarded it because again, like my, my background is more in storyboarding and um, for my process, uh, because I'm, I'm also a very visual person, Yep. Um, I thought that the best way to explain 
this the show that is so difficult to describe would be to make <laughs> something. Um, I'm, I'm sort of more of a person who enjoys making things. It's easier for yep. me to communicate that way. So um, yep. I wrote the theme song, recorded the demo. Um, I remember grabbing friends in the hallway being like, hey, my friend Matt Lazell, who's got a show coming out next year called Battle Kitty. Like I, I remember oh. grabbing him and being like, Matt, um, can you, there's this, this giraffe character. Can you <laughs> say a couple of these lines? So um, yeah, like I, I did that. Um, and can you sing this? You know, like I, it was so, it was so informal and fun, but um, <laughs> I did that and I storyboarded the uh, theme song and, um, and shared that with people. And that was like the easiest way for them to understand what I was trying to make. And the, the like what ended up being there for the theme song is pretty much, it's, it's virtually unchanged from how it was originally. So, um, that's yeah, the opening was, title that you're talking about. Yes. The opening title, yeah. like, um, gotcha. yeah. And a and, horse running on the globe and Chet's yeah, well, the face. Yeah. The, yeah. Like the song leading up before that, um, when she first gets there and she's trying oh, to run yeah. away and then Walmart, mm-hmm. yeah, like that, that whole thing. So like that I storyboarded mm-hmm. oh, and then, okay. um, yeah. And then I went, worked with a small team of people. We storyboarded the first episode. And then what I would do was I would just pitch that first episode with the songs in it. Like I, I had mm-hmm. um, kind of some piano tracks on my phone and I would just press play when the songs would come up and I'd be tabbing through the, <laughs> the panels and like singing it and doing all the voices. Um, so it was, I, and I did that, must've done that like a hundred times. So yeah. And just sort of singing it and doing all the silly voices and, um, yeah, because that first episode kind of starting in, you know, the regular world as a different, starting it off as an, in another series and then having horse separated and waking up in centaur world and having that, like that was sort of such a clear way to describe what kind of show we were making mm-hmm. um, versus me getting up in front of a room of people and saying, well, you know, it's it's an action adventure comedy <laughs> musical that you know like it was it was just such a word salad so this was more yeah. clear and um and yeah like it, it it I just started when we actually got into production I would actually pitch this to a lot of the people we interviewed like writers storyboard artists and um directors like I, I ended up pitching it um to a lot of people too which is unusual in the interviewing process but we were making such a specific thing and I was mm-hmm. I wanted it to I wanted everyone who came on board to be like you know, to, to know what they were getting into. Yeah. And um, it ended up being something that was actually great in the hiring process, because if you were into musicals or it was, it appealed to your sensibilities, then you were, you'd be excited and you'd have a lot to, to say about it. Um, ah, and then yeah. if you were like, wow, I'm, I'm really not into musicals and I don't get this, <laughs> then it would, it was, you know, then it'd be very easy to be like, thank you. Um, you know, uh, yep. so, so yeah, like once people started, they already had seen, essentially seen the first episode and they had a lot of ideas coming into it. And for me and in, in my process, I like hitting things hard at the beginning mm-hmm. and building a foundation and then kind of seeing what other people bring to the table. Like a lot of our artists, brought in their anime influences. There's a lot of like JoJo's Bizarre Adventure references. Oh, you know, like a lot of, a lot of people who like, and they, and they brought that and infused it. um, And it's like, you know, like just adding layers to something that already has a specific tone of voice to it. And that's always like the most fun part is once you bring other players in and they, they come in and they, they bring themselves to it. That's great. Uh, that's that's a really cool story. I love the derbles to derbleton on the chopstick. That is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Impressive. <laughs> um, 
that was guess, a great question. Sorry, oh, it was yeah, like a uh, long uh, tangent. But well, I mean, I mean we, we can ask you more on production, certainly. <laughs> yeah, it's always funny that, you know, I, I knew that my wife would have a great question for you because I, I feel like, oh, yeah, she's an artist. She's an illustrator. She's a musician. Oh, yes, they're, they're going to have a lot in common. So, OK, yeah. I'm, I'm, glad she, I'm glad she submitted that anyway. All right, Kurt, I'm sorry, I cut you off. Go ahead. No, no, you're good. Well, I, so I'm in my early 20s. I'm a Zoomer. Mr. Sal, he's in Generation X. His wife's a millennial, right? His his sons are in Gen Alpha. So there's a lot of people in different, you know, generations. Mm-hmm. I have friends who've seen the series that are also, you know, my age. And, you know, they've all, yeah. you know, they've enjoyed it. So is it your intention to make the show have broad appeal, right? And if so, how did you try to go about accomplishing that? So that way, you know, people from all ages. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. That was something um, I definitely had in mind. Um, I knew that, you know, when you're making something that has, you know, is intended for the co-viewing experience, like I, um, I know, um, like Sam, you mentioned that your kids were watching it and then you, mm-hmm. you kind of came into it like at a later point in the series. Yeah, um, I'll bring that up in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah, like I, I definitely, like uh, the, some of the favorite feedback I've gotten from people who've seen the series are, uh, like I've heard from different people who've watched it with uh, their kids and their parents, you know, like just knowing that there are people from different generations able to enjoy it together. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I tried not to, to overthink it. I just knew that I wanted to tell a story that was friendly for kids, but that we, where we mm-hmm. didn't shy away from heavier themes because I think those are important. Um, not just because, you know, like as a millennial myself and as someone who grew up with some, you know, kind of disturbing content in the 90s. Um, mm-hmm. Like, and I turned out more or less okay. Um, <laughs> but but um, I knew that, uh, A, that kids like to be challenged, that they don't like being talked down to, and B, that there are some topics that um, I do wish had been brought up earlier in my life, especially as they pertain to mental health. And um, that I think, like, I, I feel like there are a lot of things that can just be presented and um, are good conversation starters um, and that, you know, like it's good to challenge kids and that they actually like being challenged by content. And um, so I was conscious of that, but I also, you know, I also just wanted to make something that I enjoyed as a person too. Like, uh, you know, I love musicals. I love comedy. I love, um, you know, like sci-fi and, and um, fantasy and um, I, I knew like we were, I wanted to have a show that had all these elements that I enjoyed and um, I, the glue that we kind of tried to keep, to, to have, to keep it all together was just a story where we, where we um, as the, the writers cared about our characters mm-hmm. and where we, we felt like we were making sure that the characters cared about each other. So having mm-hmm. something that just ultimately had, um, you know, a, uh, an emotional through line to it that we felt was compelling. Um, we felt like that could be enough of a, of, the, of a glue to bind all these disparate elements together and, and hopefully appeal to different, you know, different kinds of people of different ages. Yeah, I, I, I think I think I think you've really succeeded there. And one of the, our, our podcast coverage of Centaur World has been primarily focused on emotional intelligence and mental health uh, and the aspects that you've brought into the series. So it's it's what I loved so much about the series. In fact, so I'd mentioned before that I had a pretty unconventional experience watching the series. So uh, you had mentioned that you, the songs you're most proud of were, first of all, Becky Apple's, is, I think, the funniest song in the series. So 
Great job. Uh, so, so when when they say, and her name is Becky Apples, because uh, of course it is, I, I lose it every time. Uh, the fact that you said you're very proud of the early songs in episode one, uh, the Hootenanny Chorale, which brings all of those songs together. I, I'm in tears every time I watch that song. So, uh, the, the, uh, but what brought me into the series was breathing a bag actually so i, I was just oh, really? doing, oh yeah so i was i was just doing schoolwork uh and in my dining room and my kids were watching centaur world and i wasn't really paying attention and then i heard something about reaction formation and i kind of looked up uh and and then i i listened to the entire breathing a bag song and my jaw kind of hit the floor and i said is there more to the series than i gave it credit for initially i i maybe should check this out and then I think the next day they were watching Bunch of Scrunch. And I, when I saw Horse jump into everyone's backstory and you literally gave your main character the superpower of empathy, I said, okay, I, yeah. I need to watch. I need to watch the rest of the series. Uh, and then I actually, um, after that, happened upon them watching the finale. So I actually saw the finale before I saw almost really anything from season one. Oh, wow. So, yeah, so, but I kind of love that because when I watch, when I heard Wink singing Fragile Things in episode two, I was in tears because I just kept picturing her at the top of the cliff and the battle round song, sending her bubbles down to save the rest of the herd from the Minotaurs. Yeah. It's, so it was, a, it was a really emotional experience just in episode two. So I imagine that it must've been pretty emotional writing the early episodes if you had the end in mind. So I guess my question is how much of the end did you have in mind at the beginning? And was it very emotional to write those early episodes knowing where you were going from there? Yeah, um, I, in the early, yeah, I had, I had the end in mind um, pretty early on. I had actually also written um, the Nowhere King's backstory and all of that lore too. Like, I remember just staying up a couple of nights and like writing this, insane document that was all over mm -hmm. the place but kind of writing the backstory of that and um when we did end up going there and like it was interesting as we, we we were looking at the script and kind of actually figuring out what order to present those memories as she takes mm -hmm. that tour into the nowhere yep. backstory with the with the elk and um it was really complicated but but knowing where we were going yeah it was it was emotional kind of um knowing uh you know like what each of these characters kind of represented who they were and trying to figure out like where, you know, like no, yeah, knowing, knowing where they were going to go. Like even at the beginning, we knew, we knew Derpleton was going to adopt, a, you know, adopt a minotaur. Oh, and, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah. Like we had, we had all these arcs for the characters planned out from the beginning about, you know, like we actually did both seasons back to back. So it was for us, yep. you know, production wise, it was like, you know, episode one through 18. Yeah. Um, and we had that all just sort of, yeah. So we, so we, we um, but, but in the process, it, it would get more emotional. I think um, by the final storyboard pitch, um, yeah, it was, uh, I remember actually like crying after, because we, we pitched to the mm -hmm. whole crew and we pitched the finale with, you know, with, um, um, and yeah, just like with, with the, when the final song ended and all of that, like, I remember, um, like having to say some words to the crew and I remember crying yeah <laughs> just um because it was such a journey getting there but but from the at the beginning um yeah kind of first I, th I think um writing like writer's lullaby and knowing yeah. that this was going to be you know something 
this is something really trying to write something really simple mm -hmm. um that simple and sweet and emotionally pure i guess at the beginning and knowing right. what was going to happen to these characters later um yeah it was it was always pretty a pretty emotional experience um but i i guess i think our um affection for the characters and getting that invested so early on um really helped us uh helped us keep keep things as genuine or as as um as a uh, sincere as possible i think sincerity was one of the things that we tried to preserve throughout the show even though the comedy could be all you know like it could get pretty broad and pretty wacky and strange yep. and surreal um we we always wanted these characters to be sincere and how they were with each other well, I think you've you've definitely accomplished that. That that definitely shines through. Uh, you you brought up the Nowhere King, so uh, mm -hmm. we have a few questions about the Nowhere King that we'd we'd like oh, to good. ask. If that's okay. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Kurt and I are in some disagreement about this. So mm -hmm. I I noticed that the voice of the general Brian Darcy James is different mm -hmm. from the voice of the Alctar, the Alk, and the Nowhere King, who are all voiced by Brian Stokes Mitchell. Yes. Uh, I also noticed that when the Alctar splits the rutabaga guitar the rutabaga ends up as just a rutabaga not an animated i mean animated in the sense that it's drawn but not mobile and there's no locomotion mm -hmm. or, or, ver or a verbalization so the alctar says that he intended to draw out the beast part of himself now clearly the elk was more than he'd imagined but did the alctar's consciousness go into both the elk and the general or was his consciousness trapped entirely in the elk and the general was a different part of him altogether kind of like someone with multiple personality disorder might have different consciousnesses that don't necessarily interact with each other and if they're the same consciousness well actually why don't i let you answer that question first and then we'll, we'll take it from yeah there. Okay, I love this question. <laughs> I, love, I, I hope love you agree that, with yeah, me I, here. Okay. Uh, yeah, you don't know which one of us. Which. <laughs> yeah. I love this question. Um, okay. So we actually we um, there's some foreshadowing in episode one actually. Oh, <laughs> really? Um, so basically, it's the tiny versions. Um, so when when <sighs> that first moment when Womwink shoots a tiny version, the first mm -hmm. thing it says it comes into consciousness and asks where like how did I get here? Why was I made? and mm -hmm. runs off screaming. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know if you guys have seen the movie, The Prestige by Christopher oh, Nolan. Oh yes, oh yes. Or if you have played the video game Soma. Um, I've done either. I've done that. I've, <laughs> oh, the okay. Prestige, I love The Prestige, so I, I know what so, you're talking about. Soma is really, if you have, it's really disturbing. It's like highly, it's highly disturbing. But, <laughs> but um, a big part of it is it's the question of, um, yeah, like it's, if you're, it, so we'll talk about the prestige since you guys have seen that. So yeah. the twist at the end is we find out what he's been doing is he's actually been making replicas of himself and right. you know. Um, but mm -hmm. I I think what gets explored further in Soma is is um, if your consciousness is replicated and like if you're yeah like if you're in in the body of a robot or something else like, mm -hmm. but you know like if you split your consciousness what happens and um, so the answer is. Yeah, these things retain the memories of, you know, like in the tiny version's case, they retain the memories of their, of their, you know, of, of regular Wamawink, but now uh -huh. they've just come into being. And so in the case of, of, um, of uh, the Alktar, um, he, yeah, like if you were to take the rutabaga, if he, like if he were, what he didn't do was he saw the baby in the rutabaga 
And um, if he had scanned the rutabaga, he would know that the consciousness of the, the other was, is still in there. And oh. it probably would have been pretty upset. So it's the same <laughs> being. So, so it's, it's like in The Prestige. So basically, yep. um, yeah, he's bo- both instances of himself are in, one instance of himself is in the Altar, and um, one instance of, his, of himself is in the general. Um, but it, it, like in Soma, they call it losing the coin toss. Like there's a coin, it, there's a coin uh, toss. Yeah. So uh, okay. even if you, you know, mm-hmm. like um, it's still, so, so basically the general is him, it's still him. It's the same person, but mm-hmm. himself living in a, from a place of privilege. And right. then the horror is that he also put himself into this other being who he, mm-hmm. you know, didn't expect to have that you know you you oh. think of yourself you think of it as other but it's actually right. him still you too. yeah and it's suffering yeah. and and then he ultimately causes more suffering to himself <laughs> or like mm-hmm. in the prestige he's literally drowning himself yes. right like like yes. he's literally killing killing himself over and over again yep. and that's his burden there but like yep. yeah that was something that i always found um fast that idea was something fascinating and in centaur world we explore so much about duality and um in the case of that character he's so torn and so you know tortured but he's not Mm -hmm. thinking things through and he's you know he's brilliant but he's also he you know he's he's also short-sighted by his own um distress and um yeah like he's just he's uh there's a lot of parallels between the the um the elktar slash nowhere king slash general and horse but he chose a different path in terms right. of how to, um, you know, he chose a path of like obsessive love and, and kind of um, a self, a more self-centered love and horse kind of diverged and went down a different path than he did. But um, yeah. yeah, so it's all him. I, we, okay. we put, uh, Brian Darcy James and Brian Stokes Mitchell are both amazing um they're bo- both of like legendary broadway yeah yeah singers <laughs> um <laughs> yeah. the um broadway brians um <laughs> and i think um we didn't want to make it i think we felt like if if the general had the same was also played by brian stokes mitchell it would be perhaps too obvious <laughs> that you know um that it was the same character and we thought of it being like he's physically changed himself so much that it was okay for him to have a different, a different voice. Uh, um, yeah, I, but, li- I, yeah. I, I like that. That's that's pretty. And, great. and then I don't know if you like if you noticed in the first episode of season two, the first time we meet the general, he actually mm-hmm. is in a he's in a sling, like yes. he's been injured mm-hmm. from battle. Yep. But that's actually the injury from um, when the like Ryder had stabbed the Noah King at the end oh, of oh so i never thought actually, about that <laughs> yeah so in because ter- he can't yeah so he's injured because of that <laughs> oh so we put okay, so we yeah. put subtle like if you go back and look there's su- like subtle things where you know there might be indications but that was that was one okay. wow that's fantastic that's good. now I, I i will tell you i i love that explanation it's but kurt does win so. I, I told you they're same person <laughs> I, that's the beauty of it i love it yeah same person i was i was thrown off by the different voices but right. i love that explanation that he's changed physically so much that it makes sense for him to have a different voice so okay great yeah. so you know you you brought up something kurt i'm going to skip ahead a little bit here but I'm you a- brought up something that that i 
I thought was interesting. You, you said that uh, there's a lot of similarities between the Altar and, and Horse. So when I when I watch the series, I kind of always think of um, Horse and Rider as almost being metaphorically, not literally, but like two parts of one whole. Uh, was that at all a thought as you were writing those characters? Yeah, um, I always thought of them as like, sort of soulmates you know like there's Mm -hmm. a I think at the end there's a line like the soldiers can rest sisters can start their lives again so they they both were um orphaned when they were kids you know like little and um they grew up together as like you know everyone around them is dying but they're but they're um sticking together and um so I I always imagine there being a lot of love there they're they're truly family to one another and um yeah so yeah it's like a lifelong bond and just a very pure love uh so yeah i would i would say so like they're two they they are sort of two halves gotcha great yeah yeah like it's a a bit more than no working then so end of the series right some people have a tough time swallowing that the the woman the mysterious woman kills the elk tower instead of sparing him at the end me and mr sal mm-hmm. think of it more of a mercy than a punishment but can you talk about your decision or you know why the choice was made not yeah to spare the yeah um i mean there's a couple things um I, to, to your point about mercy yeah he's dying already you know <laughs> um and um I, yeah i actually storyboarded that scene too and I made a point to have him you know put the kind of take that moment from the fly where he puts the, the weapon to his head um <laughs> he's he's dying you know mm-hmm. he, he is dying he's he's also caused a lot of pain already um but I mean thematically um I think because these characters are um like um for for horse and rider I wanted them to end that cycle of violence and then for for um, the woman and the Nowhere King, um, that was, I mean, that was in a lot of ways like a representative of a toxic relationship. And also yeah. um, with, I mean, like with mental health being a theme in so, so much of the show, um, yep. I think one thing, one thing is like accountability too. Like, um, like um, the idea that you can sympathize with someone who has a condition or has, who is struggling with their health mm-hmm. um, internally but also having them still holding them res- accountable for or responsible for their actions that they do, you know, or the things that they do, right. um, that it cannot be an excuse. So yes, we, we got to know the Noah King a little bit better. We, we see why he did the things he did, but still like genocide happened, lying, gaslighting. Um, yep. I, I wrote um, uh, one of the things and, uh, that we wrote were, were sort of like, I think back in, uh, episode 10 of, I mean, like, a in episode 10 of season one, we mm-hmm. see the woman come, come in, um, to the rifts and she yep. says the, her wedding vows. And we don't, we don't introduce the idea yes. that that was, those were her wedding vows then. But, um, yeah, like, um, if you, like, I, then later, like I wrote the, that wedding song in, um, episode eight or the, in the finale. Yes. And if you listen to what they're saying, it's, he's talking way more than she is. Um, and the stuff that he's saying, like, I swear, I, I will never stop thinking about you. You've yep. come to set me free. It's some stuff that's echoed, but, and if you should hurt me, I'll always forgive you. Yes. You are a part of me. It's all very like, you know, it's centered around him. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, yeah. So it's never, it was never a healthy relationship. Yeah, clearly. And, yeah. And so 
I know that in, in, you know, like it seems pretty brutal, but to me, it's like symbolic of ending a toxic relationship. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, like, I know that there is like, it's a mercy killing. Some might interpret it as murder, but mm-hmm. it's, um, but yeah, like it's the, the woman has stood by and she's literally, um, she's been in center world for a long time. And, yep. um, the timeline in the show is kind of funny, but I mean, everyone's ages are all over the place, but um, we've always intent, we always intended, we, we knew we didn't have to make it clear, but um, I, I always thought that the woman and the general um, would have been, this war would have been happening for like a hundred years at least. Oh, like this, wow. is, this has been, this has been going on for a long time. It's all that Ryder and Force had ever known because generations had been fighting and okay. um, you know, it's, so this has been going on for a long time and the woman hasn't really aged that much. You know, she, she, she and the general kind of are frozen by their trauma or uh, they're frozen in time by, you know, like this thing that happened to them. And so she, she has not acted um, to do anything to, she's sort of been there hurting in centaur world, but has, has stood by. And so I thought it, I felt like she had to do something to end the cycle because it would just if he lived it would continue inevitably it would continue because yeah. of this, these choices that he has made so he he did need to die he did mm-hmm. need to you know we needed the cycle to stop and he did need to you know take accountability for all of the pain and death and suffering that he caused because you know thousands of, of lives were lost because of his actions yeah, and I, I do love the fact that we'll talk about it later, non-binary morality, how you made yeah. the Nowhere King kind of relatable. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I do love the fact that, you know, Nowhere King's the big bad person. And then at the end, I'm feeling really bad that the poor Elktar has to be put yeah. down. So that was really good. Uh, yeah, just real quick about the, the non-binary morality piece. That is that is something, I'm not sure if you, I, I, I'm certain you, you must have had that in mind, at least to some extent when you were writing the Nowhere King. But uh that that's something that's just so important to me and what I show my kids. Uh, you know, I, I grew up on shows where there were, it was clearly there was good, there was evil. There was nothing in mm-hmm. between. You were either good or evil. Uh, and, and I, I've had a, to really reconcile that in, in adulthood uh, that, yeah. that, that, that is absolutely not the case. Uh, so, mm-hmm. it, so it's so important to me to, to have, something that my kids love as much as they love centaur world put nine non-binary morality on display like this so uh, really thank you for doing that oh no thank thank you for for saying <laughs> that and for um because i i agree and i feel the same way that um having these these um such black and white characters um mm-hmm. doesn't yeah like it, it's um it's also like less interesting it feels more like yeah. <laughs> it feels more like watching you know like bible stories kind of if it's you yes. know like just the hero versus satan or whatever you yep. know um when um I, I think we were very conscious of that with the nowhere king where horse has one idea of who this enemy is and having that completely flipped on its head and that even causing some you know them to hurt and rider to fight after she comes out of him but um mm-hmm. but when he when he says you and i are you know alike or I know what that's when he relates to her and when she finds herself relating to him too. I think, I think it's important to remember that, that no one is black and white, that um, everything is in shades of gray and Mm -hmm. that um, the choices that we make, 
like we're all we're all so close to making choices that can lead us down the wrong path too. Right. Um, and it's usually people people usually start off, um, you know, thinking they're doing the right thing, and it's 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 um it's really important to see all those shades of shades of gray. I think for, for kids, for adults, it's always it's always important to have those reminders. Absolutely, absolutely. I guess last thing on the network king, and we can move on to something else okay. is at the end of a what you need when they start singing uh the no working lullaby the leaves and the plants horse <laughs> horse says she recognizes this song now does she actually recognize it or is it just because she's like kind of like a war horse and just the idea of like death and destruction or like that's what she recognizes yeah um i actually always thought that it would be it was like an actual lullaby that would have crept into both worlds it was like a, a uh, lullaby that she because okay. it, like i wrote i wrote that that song too and i i in the original demo i even had like a i had like an off tune um music box kind of sound to it but uh i um because the timelines are so warped and because um because horse has been at war for so long like i i thought there might be hints of him in um in her world too it's sort of like if you if you look at what i love about like uh, nursery rhymes and why i kind of wrote it that way was like like ring around the rosy rockabye baby if you listen oh, yeah. to, if you actually listen to the lyrics of a lot of these things they're actually weirdly <laughs> sinister but they yeah. might might be something that you hear sung and you never really think about it so um even if you know like it was something that would have sounded familiar to horse even if she had never really heard the words or paid attention to it it was just something it's one of those lullabies that you might have heard before gotcha. yeah okay. oh, that's, that's, cool. that's cool yeah no mm -hmm. certainly i guess uh let's move on to one of our favorite episodes memes just sell has to be the ride the wall uh whale tar shaman episode mm -hmm. uh and we have some questions about that so yeah at first viewing we thought the whale tar represented and the idea of horse jumping in and the whole environment of that was suicide but we thought about it a bit more and it's reversible because she's able to leave the whale tar. So maybe something with substance abuse. What was your intention for what the whale tar shaman is supposed to represent? Yeah, um, she could really represent both of those things. Okay. Um, we, we escapism in, in some substance abuse is also something that we had in mind, but it was more, it, you know, like the, the, the idea of um, suicide and all of that, that was, top of mind i think mm -hmm. for us just something to avenues people use to unhealthily to numb pain um mm -hmm. and um something but obviously you know we knew that we were making a children's show right. so we, we were yeah. <laughs> we also were thinking of um i think we were watching some like commercials from like those kathy, kathy Griff, no i'm sorry uh, kathy gifford yep. um like cruise ship commercials ah, that she did carnival. and like the, the carnival cruise ship yeah like yeah. Her, it's her it's like her singing on a sh cruise ship but we're talking about how yeah. kind of creepy cruise ships are in some ways oh, like wow but just that sort of weird escapism thing so we were, we we're thinking so so um that's why like when they get in there horse is sort of sedately talking about like a shuffleboard tournament and they're doing oh, there's wow. a conga line and yeah uh, you know jeffrey's in his little like sailor suit and all of that <laughs> but just um yeah so there's some there, we were we had sort of like the like a cruise line um slash nursing home vibe in there but oh. um but but yeah like um we wanted to leave it open to interpretation yeah. but 
but thoughts of suicide were definitely you know like that was that was something that we wanted we thought that it would at least be um it was a delicate you know of course it's mm-hmm. a very delicate topic right. for a lot of people but mm-hmm. um i don't know for for i feel like um you know sometimes kids feel that way and yep. like plenty of people that i know have had suicidal ideation as children and mm-hmm. it's very difficult for them to talk about it and i think that yeah like i i felt like it was important to be able to show that and also to to be like this is a valid feeling that people sometimes feel and it's important to be able to share it mm-hmm. um and so yeah it was it was uh it was something we wanted to explore and yeah. to also we also wanted to make sure that at the end of the episode when you know when um the herd gets horse back onto land mm-hmm. that she wasn't shamed for it or no one judged her for it um right. and that she was just sort of embraced and told that you know she can lean on them for it instead mm-hmm. of yeah we just wanted to make sure that we could show this this is a thing that people sometimes feel but also that you know your family is not going to you know should not judge you for those feelings even if they're scary right. and um yeah i've talked to some people who've said that it was like a good conversation starter too for for kids and their family to be able to talk about those kinds of feelings i totally agree I, I, that's that's kind of what it did in my family as well i i really appreciate that again that's uh, it's interesting i've so many i know so many people adults uh, maybe even current students who I would love to say, you know, just watch this episode. You need to watch this episode. I feel like it would help you so much. Um, but instead, I just say watch the whole series. So <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, uh, it, you know, this really is one of our favorite episodes. There's, there's a song in the episode, The Who Is She Reprise. Uh, mm-hmm. And you, sh- you show us Ryder a lot in that song and so on its face horse seems to be singing about Ryder. but uh, i my kids and i listened to the soundtrack so much before i even ever saw this episode so oh, i wow. knew the song I, I knew this song already before i had even seen the episode um so when i heard the song before i always had in my head that horse was singing about herself so mm-hmm. was was there some intentional double meaning there or is that just because i didn't have the full context no, it's definitely intended to have a double meaning, um, oh. especially since in the, you know, the, the, in the last episode too, in, in the, uh, um, the cats episode, the cat mm-hmm. episode, there's, um, there's some double meaning in that one too. Like she says, because she's worth it too. She's, yep. she's talking about Ryder. She's also talking yes. about herself. I um, love that. Yeah. So, so there's a lot of those two songs. There's definitely instances where it's supposed to be double meaning. She's referring to herself. She's also referring to writer. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. I, I love it. I also like being right. So that's wonderful. Yeah, <laughs> 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 no, I'm, I'm so, uh, yeah. it's so nice that you guys listen to the lyrics so closely. Too. Oh yeah. Well, I, I mean, like uh, seriously, when I tell you that we, we listen, we have consumed this soundtrack more than we consume breakfast over the last half a year or so. Oh so, <laughs> so, so yeah, and in, in, in my house, I, I can't speak for Kurt here, but in, in my house we have. So, you know, we, my kids know all the lyrics as well. So speaking of my kids, uh, my older son, Griffin, is completely obsessed 
with Comfortable Doug. Uh, so <laughs> he has a question for you as well that we've recorded. Awesome. Kurt, can you play this question? Griffin, is there anything that you would like to say or ask the creator of Centaur World, who is also the voice of Glendale? Yes. What was your inspiration for Comfortable Doug? Griffin is a big Comfortable Doug fan. That, that's awesome. <laughs> oh, you have no idea how obsessed he is. <laughs> I mean, um, the crew was also obsessed with Comfortable Doug. I think he was the crew favorite, too. Um, that's why there's so much more of him in season two. <laughs> but... Um, yeah. Uh, so, the, so first of all, like I'll try to get through this quickly. His name, Comfortable Doug, mm -hmm. um, which is a, obviously like a very specific name, even by Centaur World standards. Mm -hmm. um, that came from I was talking with a like one of my buddies, and um, I was at like the lunch table, and somebody else was in a conversation with him, and I hopped back into the conversation like at the wrong time, so I missed what he was saying. But he was basically talking about how he preferred um, safer looking cartoons. He he found mm -hmm. like. Um, Ren and Stimpy to be too grotesque and so he was saying that he preferred the show Doug because it was comfortable he liked the, the comfortable look of Doug but all I heard was comfortable Doug and I was like I want to know who this is who is comfortable <laughs> Doug that's a great name and we were like we have uh, to name a character in the show comfortable Doug um, oh, and wow. I had been I had been drawing on these post-it notes I'd been drawing um, the Moltar characters mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was like, well, that, that's like perfect name for this, you know, kind of disturbing fleshy creature that I just drew. Um, and then, uh, we talked about, uh, the possibility of him being German and, mm -hmm. um, uh, my, uh, Dominic, I yep. he, his, his wife is German. And so, you know, like a lot of his in-laws are German and we yep. talked about the possibility of him being German and maybe him having kind of a dry, like Werner Herzogy way of yep. talking. And so that kind of found its way into the writing. And then um, we, you know, we thought of Fula Borg because he's uh, awesome. And he, um, yeah. <laughs> he, yeah. And then um, he agreed to do it and he brought so much to the character in his reads <laughs> and his improv. And um, yeah, like the character became, because we told him this character is going to be a little bit, awkward and yeah. you know um he's going to say things that are strange and he he completely added to it and and um yeah he just brought so much quirkiness and character and sass to the unexpected sass to the character <laughs> and uh like I feel like he <laughs> the um unusual way you know the I, I guess the the way that he talks it became almost more like speak and spell like as we went yes oh to, that is brilliant yes because <laughs> we told him from the beginning we we're like you know at times he might put the emphasis in the wrong place of the word <laughs> or a sentence but he doesn't care because you know he is who he is and mm -hmm. um yeah and then and uh Dominic wrote this wrote Comfortable Doug the song yep which mm -hmm. is, I think, might be my favorite song in the whole series. It's just such an earworm. It um, is. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, that character was so much fun. I think everyone, like all of the artists, just loved just throwing him in wherever they could. And, so and yeah. Was he not originally intended to fill the roles he did and it kind of just became that? I think as we were continuing to write, we... Mm -hmm. Um, I think because of what Flula gave us, 
too. Um, and then, and we talked about, I think from the beginning we had, we did intend for him to some, you know, like we talked about like Werner Herzog as a bit of an inspiration as well. Yeah. Um, and like in, in, um, in uh, the, th- the Glendale episode in the third episode of season two, yes. there's that, <laughs> there's that bit where she's stuck on the other side of the ice where they just created yes. that, <laughs> that barrier. And, <laughs> and um, that scene was always like from very early on, we had talked about um, uh, there's that Werner Herzog documentary. I just forgot the name of it, but there's a scene from it you can find on YouTube where <laughs> a peng, like, I think it's, it's basically a penguin goes inland away from the rest of the Antarctic penguins. And it's just, and like, he's just sort of monologuing about like, has this, has this penguin descended into madness, you know, like where he just sort of talks. <laughs> and it's a very wide shot of this, penguin just running to certain death inland <laughs> away from the ocean where it gets its food and its community <laughs> and so we always talked about this scene and um so that's why it's kind of storyboarded the way it is it's very wide and Glendale is just kind of doing her thing and um, oh wow yeah and our writer uh, Amalia Lavari wrote this just was was amazing at writing this very uh, particular flowery dialogue for Doug and um yeah and and so that is yeah so so um part of it was just Flula being Flula and he's just so great at (laughs) improvising and uh he's such a character and like just a really nice nice delightful person to work with um and then uh I think just everyone just gravitated towards this character it was fun (laughs) he was fun to write songs for he was fun to um just kind of have in there as a part of the world and also i think just because he was such an agent of chaos too being sure. you know like or he's he has his own agenda he's he's chaotic neutral you know you're not yes yeah i yeah, know <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> yes my right. comings and goings cannot be understood but mortal yes. mind yeah <laughs> yep yep all right. well, that's, okay well i guess on a, a different note then uh there's the concept of being wibbly wobbly right horse mm-hmm. stabby rider they all become wibbly wobbly how does that work right how does someone become wibbly wobbly like me Mustafa theories you know is it embracing yeah. centaur world found family found family in centaur world the herd uh and noteworthy is that the woman mm-hmm. despite being a centaur world for so long we never see her really become wibbly wobbly yeah um so she is not fully changed by the world so there's there's like a hint that she could have become wibbly wobbly at the in the backstory like her hair is purple Mm-hmm. You know, her hair That's is true. like a, that very bright color. And um, when we see in the flashbacks, when like the, there's this kind of cute moment when like the Eltar is seeing her come through the rift and he's smitten by her. Um, <laughs> like she's hanging out in centaur world and that's maybe how her hair became this lilac color to begin with. But um, uh, uh, yes. but yeah, like yeah. she she has stopped her, I guess she's not, she won't transition. She didn't doesn't transition into a wibbly wobbly character because she is, in this still very much in this in her trauma in her um in this toxic situation she's never kind of moved past that and she's kind of hermiting in central world she's like you know roommates with bear tar and um <laughs> kind of just like lurking around and what, what she's doing in there too is she's doing like mural paintings of the war that she's still very like she has guilt and grief and she's she's stuck in that so she doesn't change because she's she's just there, but isn't embracing the world or um, she's just sort of 
trapped um, in that cycle. And so that's why she doesn't continue to change and that's why she's still angular. But um, for horse and later for, you know, for Stabby and for Ryder, it's, it's a, yeah, it's about um, internally, you know, embracing center world and um, embracing the new things of that world. Like, uh, like for me, it was like going into show choir initially, like I, I could have just been there and not changed because I could have mm-hmm, just sort mm-hmm. of, you know, half-assed it or whatever, but, um, right. but um, yeah, like by the end of like the first semester in show choir, I was doing jazz hands and wearing sparkly dresses <laughs> and, you know, I was doing the, like the, like the, the big, the really broad faces and singing and, and all yeah. of that. So um, yeah, it's sort of embracing, uh, embracing the new things in there and and for horse that's um i think what we were we were calling it like in the writer's room was like unlocking her emotional tool belt i guess ah. or getting adding things to her tool belt um, yes yeah and so that kind of changed that's what changed it for her and then um for for stabby it was kind of you know like actually um yeah like becoming a part of the herd and and acknowledging derpleton's you know Durpleton's love for him and mm-hmm. you know like you sort of see little little snippets of him like he, he actually goes to his room he regrets it when yeah. he does when he when he praises <laughs> the nowhere king but um em- embracing that that uh very strange relationship between the two of them but, uh, the yeah. bad boy baby boy timeout zone time I love out that. Zone. <laughs> yeah. oh wow uh you know one of the we, you've already talked a lot about one of the themes of central world being trauma and, and trauma responses. Uh, someone I'm close to has suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD for years, ever since having a severe car accident. Now, when they saw the episode, uh, what you need, uh, they were in awe of Wamoing's behavior at the edge of the forest. They said, Oh my God, that's exactly what it's like. Your brain gets all, uh, uh, and, and, and you yeah. physically can't bring yourself to move forward. So was it your intention to help people better understand those around them and how the trauma they have impacts them? Because that's what it did for me. Yeah, I mean, trauma was um, one of the central themes. Um, I uh, One of our writers, Minty Lewis, had recommended the, um, recommended I read The Body Keep the Score as we were starting writing. Mm, yes, yep. Um, and yeah, like it was, that was so eye opening. just reading about like how physical trauma is too. And it really kind of informed how we, um, you know, like how we treated the characters and how, how their, ex- what their experience of it was. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. And having, having Wama Wink feel frozen and feel so discombobulated, um, mm-hmm. as we arrived at the place of her trauma was, was important. Yeah. That's, that's and awesome. also like in, in the in the finale too with with the elk revisiting some mm-hmm. of those um those backs some of his backstory and and it being kind of out of place too was yep. was part of why it was um <clears throat> why it was out of order and then we also um we had him uh keep going to food memories because it was yes. kind of like a safe safe place for him ah, um, yeah. throughout all of what he was going through but um, yeah, we, we really, we uh, definitely wanted trauma to kind of be front and center in the story. Yeah, a, a great job with that. I mean, really, I, just seeing Wama Wink in that situation and having someone explain that to me, I thought, oh, wow, I, I've been misunderstanding this the whole time. So I, I really do appreciate that. So 
Yeah. Megan, I personally believe that the series is perfect as it is. And I'd be completely satisfied with having only this from Centaur World in perpetuity. But have you told the story that you intended to tell or is there stuff left unexplored that you either want to, wanted to or want to explore? I, um, so I told the story that I wanted to tell, but um, it was really just such a great experience making it. Um, and the team that we got together um, from the actors to our, um, our team of artists and our production crew, like everyone was, like it, it really was um, such a, a positive experience and it, so many people brought, brought more than I could have ever imagined to the table that, um, yeah, I would love to tell more. Oh. Um, I've joked about, I've, I have joked about um, just, you could do a whole, you know, a mini series just about Zulius's backstory since we ultimately didn't show it because oh. there's too much there. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, like, much. I mean, <laughs> I, um, I told the story I wanted to tell, but also, you know, like there, there would be an interesting um, it would be interesting to see like what what is um, what is it like for this for the herd now you know like mm -hmm. going through and kind of on this journey of healing this world that is now like these two worlds that are connected and are now recovering from you mm -hmm. know from this devastating thing that has happened to them like that's a, that is a story that um, I think would be amazing to explore too so to answer your question yes I told the story that I wanted to tell but I would be, I would totally love to tell more. Okay. Well, I, you know, you've earned my trust. So I, I trust that you'll do a great job with it. So. <laughs> yeah. You've, yeah. You've built a, a wonderful universe that you can probably explore yeah. more in. Our, we, have, we have another question for you, which I, I don't know if you want, okay. even want to answer it, but has Netflix shown any interest in more Centaur World? Um, <clears throat> I don't think we're going to be making more Centaur World. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I had a great experience working with Netflix. I think that the the um, like the beauty of Netflix is that there is such you know there is no existing brand. You can kind of tell all of these um, really specific kinds of stories and um, these you know occupy these different niches. So so creatively, it was amazing. Um, and I think that like I went in knowing that we were getting this amazing opportunity to make this thing that was really special to me. And that was really specific that I wouldn't get to make anywhere else. And I also knew that that meant that in all likelihood, this was going to be, you know, it, I would only get one shot to make this. And so I, I went in knowing that and um, being at peace with that. So I haven't gotten any indication um, that we could make more, um, but I'm, but I'm at peace with that. Like I, I knew that going in. Uh, well, I, I'm sad for you, uh, but like I said, I love this series, right? Exactly the oh, way it is. You. So yeah. So so this is fantastic. But I do have one. It's it's not a it's not a complaint. It's just a, a something I'd love to see. My kids and I'm I would totally open to critique. It's not it's not about it's not about Centaur World. My kids and I would would really really like to have some officially licensed Centaur World merchandise, but we can't find any. Is there any? Yeah, is there any? Um, <laughs> is okay. that a, uh, yeah, go ahead. There yeah, there is no official licensed Centaur World merch. That part does make me sad. Uh, um, there isn't I think in general, there isn't all that much Netflix merch. 
You're for right. like a lot of, I don't think there is that much in general. There's so, they have so much content. Um, yes. And I don't, I don't think they, they generally have a lot of merch and we don't, so we don't have official merch. Um, but what I will say is there have been a lot of artists who have made amazing things from plushes to, you mm-hmm. know, keychains and shirts. And, and yeah, I, um, I, I've been just totally blown away by the fan art and the costumes and like oh, all yeah. of the creative things that the fans have made. Um, so I'm so, I'm super bummed that we don't have merch, but I'm also like, I'm also just blown away by like how um, fans have kind of, you know, made things for themselves. Um, yeah. And yeah, like I, so yeah, like, you, you know, like if support different artists who are making, like, I, I totally, you know, like go buy the fan stuff that people Oh, are hey, making, all right. That sounds, you know, that sounds, because that we sounds don't great. Ha- we don't have, because we don't have official merch, so. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, yeah. hey, now, now that we have your blessing, <laughs> yeah, I, you by know, all means. <laughs> I, I, I bought a Wamawink plush. You know, like, <laughs> so it's, yeah, like people are making amazing things, and I don't think, yeah, yeah. Um, that's that's great. There's some people who've made like these, ama- you know, amazing cra- handcrafted things that they're selling at Etsy and all of that, and yeah. and um, it makes me happy to see that, even though I'm, I'm sad that we don't have official merch. <laughs> Okay. Well, uh, uh, like I said, now that I have your blessing, I'll, I'll tell you, yeah. we, we have lots of t-shirts already anyway. Yeah, so. I, I was going to say it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I was going to yeah, say Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> like, do it, because we don't have, yeah. We, like, yeah, Netflix hasn't made official merch, so yeah, yeah. I'm just happy yeah. that people are wearing shirts or whatever. Oh, every every Friday, my wife wears her surprise face Wamawink t-shirt to school. She's a teacher <laughs> as well. I wear my horse and rider nose to nose shirt to school. Uh, Griffin, my oldest son, wears his comfortable dog t-shirt to school. And Hugo wears his Daddletons and Sunnletons only t-shirt to school. So yeah, it, it's That's- you're getting a lot of advertisement that way. A lot of my students have started watching the show. So. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And they love it, by the way. I haven't talked to any one of my students, and I teach high school sophomores, juniors, and seniors, and, and I haven't talked to any of them who don't love the show. So that's, uh, it, that's really awesome to hear. It, it's, 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 it's great. So uh, if you would be game for it, we would love to ask you about some of your favorite things within Centaur World and maybe even without, outside of Centaur World. If you're sure. game for it. Okay. So, yeah. so great. So we'll go first because we knew we were going to do this. So we'll give you some time to think. So, okay. Uh, we'll, okay. We'll, we'll give you, we'll give you our favorites. And then uh, when it comes back around, you can give us your favorites. So let's start in Centaur world. Uh, and let's, let's see if we can all talk about our favorite character in Centaur world. For me, uh, for me, it's horse. Uh, horse has the most growth horse. Um, is I mean, it's not beyond the fact that she's our central character. Uh, I, I connect with her so much, especially when she, uh, during that "Who is she?" reprise, it just is soul crushing to me. <laughs> it's 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 it, and it's it's like that throughout the entire series. So, horse is my favorite. Kurt, who's your favorite? So, I thought about this. Um... At first, I was going to say Glendale or someone like that, which is kind of chalk, I guess, because Megan, you're here. But But I thought about it. You know what? I'll think of it in terms of what character did I like relative to the screen time they got, right? So how much I liked them and how much screen time they got. And because of that, I would probably say Stabby. Because every time I see Stabby, I think Stabby's really great. And I love the story Stabby has with um, Durpleton and all that stuff. So Stabby, I think, is probably my favorite character. 
Awesome. Okay, what that brings um, us around to you, Megan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you both. Those are both great answers, by the way. Um, <laughs> I think my favorite is probably Wommel Inc. Actually. Ah. Uh, mm. Yeah. Great character. Great character. <laughs> Everyone loves the, the you know like the mom friend. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I just I just feel like she would be um yeah like amazing to have as a friend in real life like I have some friends like that and they're they're really just you know the best like yeah. the friend who always has you know pastries ready for you and yes <laughs> and and yes. just um you know wants to um we like me and some of my friends use the term momming like we we use yep. mom as a verb sometimes and but just sure. yeah like y'all everyone needs to be mommed a little bit sometimes yeah. absolutely you know so you would start the Wamowink fan, fan club for the bird tires. Yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> this was the fan club, sadly. He came in too late. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Shabby, by the way, um, like uh, that whole thing um, was kind of uh, inspired roughly by um, me. My, my favorite thing when playing D&D was always to like try to adopt a goblin or something like, <laughs> and, and, and like torture the, the you know, torture the the dm by just like making them have to play the role of like this dying orc or something you know like i'd always try to do that so and like a lot of a lot of my friends have you know done similar things but that was that was kind of where that came from (laughs) oh wow that's that's awesome all right how about and this these are probably going to get progressively harder for you because you're so attached to them but how about your favorite episode now i Obviously, my uh, maybe not so obviously, but my favorite episode is certainly The Last Lullaby. But I have a feeling Kurt isn't going to let me say The Last Lullaby because he's going to say, oh, that's like three episodes or whatever. Right, like four. Kurt? Yeah, like four and one. Yeah. Uh, okay. I, I wrote right. the same thing. It's like kind of the last one, but it's, you know, it's, still, it's like a lot of episodes in one. <laughs> yeah. So beyond The Last Lullaby, my favorite episode mm-hmm. is Bunch of, Bunch of Scrunch because <laughs> I, I think it's so important that the superpower of the main character is empathy. It, 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 it's... It is a superpower. Uh, my wife, by the way, has that superpower. I don't know how she does it. She knows exactly what people are feeling emotionally just by looking at them. I don't know how she does that. But it, and it, I always call that her superpower. So when I saw yeah. Horace get this superpower, I thought, wow, that is really powerful stuff. So a bunch of scrunch outside of the last alibi is my favorite. Wow. Kurt? Uh, yeah, like I said, the last alibi is probably <laughs> the best episode in my eyes, but yeah, it's kind of unfair because it gets so much more screen time than the other episodes. So I would probably say Ride the Whale Tar Shaman. I mean, we already talked about it. I really enjoyed the episode. Uh, I'll say another bit I was going to say on it, but I really like Sunfish Murgai's aspect of it too. I think it's kind of underrated yeah. compared to the uh, Whale Tar Shaman, but yeah. Um, that's a good choice too. I also, I <laughs> that's also, I like that we also had the... Um, like the five minutes of mer, mer dude, I mean, like a uh, of um, um, Wamawink's zine uh, <laughs> featuring the, yes. you know, the sexy merman in there. Yes. Yeah, in yeah. The same episode where we covered some heavy stuff. Um, I think it was really important to put that there. That I, yeah. Like, I, <laughs> yeah. <it> was, <laughs> that was great. There's some good comedy there, like Sean and Barnicus, wherever that goes. Like, there's, there's still some, <laughs> some good comedy in the episode. Yeah. Um, hey Megan, so on the spot. On the spot, favorite episode. Oh gosh, <laughs> I mean, I love all of. Uh, yeah, so many people talent. Like, I have so many. It's so hard to pick. Yeah, it's uh, like and, asking me who my favorite child. I was, is, like, I was gonna yeah. relate to that. Yeah. <laughs> or almost else, like. Oh, sorry. Go on. 
Oh, I was going to say, um, oh gosh, it's, it probably changes every, every day. Um, I think that the one right before the ride, the whale tar shaman, the, the cat tar one mm-hmm. was just yep. so much fun to work on too. Yeah. That one, that one is also like, um, that one was also one of my favorites. Bonus really points that if you can, bonus points if you can recite the entire title right now. Uh, gosh. Um, uh, Johnny T times B best com- uh, competition colon a quest for the sash. Great job! Wow, very good. Uh, that's very impressive. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> okay, how about these are getting more specific now? How about a favorite scene? For me, I adore the battle round, which is when the the herd is all singing their own separate songs and in their own separate places on the battlefield. Uh, but I think Kurt is going to tell me that that's not allowed what? Beca- <laughs> because it's a song, not a scene, right? I mean, I still seen anyway, but so if Kurt vetoes that one, I then I, yeah, you will. I know you will. So then, so then I would go with the end of the Nanny when horse turns around to rider and the rest of the herd and says, thank you for being my family. And then charges toward the nowhere King and rider asks what she's doing. Wamo Wink says magic. Ah, uh, that gets me choked up just even thinking about it it's a sad so. one uh my favorite scene it's kind of hard to pick i guess my favorite scene has to be in the last lullaby when the general and the elk meet each other right by the pond and then the general decides to try and drown the elk because at that up until that moment i had not seen the general as a bad guy yet right that mm-hmm. it wasn't really revealed to me that the general was a bad person and that was a severe escalation of what was going on. And it really set the stakes a lot higher than what I had realized that they, they were going to be or what was going on. You know, I'm like, okay, well, understandably the elk is sad because the general is getting the life the elk wish he had and understandably wants to reform together and give it a try. But general just goes, nope, not even risking it. I'm going to try and drown you. And that scene was, I mean, it was made pretty well with, you know, pretty graphic i guess in terms of a kid's uh cartoon it was it was well made i'd say and then even after that the the fact that he then captures the elk and sentences sentences him for 10 years um well he's held for 10 years and that was yeah i mean i just it really i don't know it meant a lot to me in terms of how how it affected me in the series and that final episode so i like that scene a lot you guys both picked some pretty good ones, heavy ones. <laughs> yeah, well, we love the heavy stuff on yeah. show hoppers. <laughs> Our first series okay. was the leftovers, if you know anything about that series. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, again, it's very hard for me to be partial yeah. because I love so many different moments from this. Um, yeah, the, I, there's so many, you know, like powerful moments that our, our team did in The Last Lullaby, um, but also in, in a bunch of scrunch too. Uh, I really, I really love um, Durpleton's backstory. Oh. I think, uh, I know like in season one, people are probably wondering what is up with this dude and his parts and what you know yes. like oh yeah i was I, um, <laughs> and, and then when he tried to adopt stabby in the beginning of season two yeah. probably like more confusion but um yeah. yeah we again we 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 had written you know we had this plant and um i think in in execution and seeing how um uh 
an artist named Sam Sam Lee storyboarded that section, and she did such an amazing job with, um, I guess, staging all of it and figuring out the acting and and um, yeah, that was a moment like when when I saw it, it was I remember it it um, it was really emotional for me, and also just in that episode in general, like we we worked with um, a bunch of really talented young actors who did the, you know, were the younger, oh, yeah. who played the okay. younger versions of the characters. So like there was a, um, a young actress who played young Glendale and um, like two, you know, some really talented singers who played young Chet and, and young Durpleton. And um, so reco- recording them was really special. They were all so amazing and did such a, like a tremendous job of like singing and acting and um, yeah, like, so I think that episode is special for me just because we had these really talented performers kind of come in and really, you know, like it was very emotional. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine that that's, that's excellent. And that Durpleton's backstory is phenomenal. Uh, it's, it's really interesting. That's probably the character that most people I know did a complete 180 on. Maybe <laughs> we're kind of lukewarm on him in the beginning. And uh, I had the opposite experience because I, again, saw the finale. Actually, the first thing I saw of Durpleton was his backstory. So, oh, so, 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 go, so going back and, and watching, you know, I, when I noticed the, him talk to his fart in episode two, I was like, oh my God, that's the, it's, it's the thing. That's, that's what happened. Uh, so yeah, that, that is, that's incredible though. All right, I think you've already answered our next question, which would be favorite song in the series. So we can let you go first if you want on this one, because you've already kind of answered this. Favorite song, okay. um, Comfortable <laughs> Doug, I think yeah. was. <clears throat> but um, other, aside from that one though, um, I think Fragile Things, uh, mm. and as an experience of writing it, because that was um, when Dominic came on board um, there were two of us sharing an office and the first thing we did was I was like we're going to start episode two so let's co-write the songs for this and yep. that was like because it was so it was like a musical trust fall so he had like, <laughs> I had a really crappy guitar in the office and so he we, we just were recording it on our on our iPhone just kind of going back and forth and um, <clears throat> it wasn't soundproof so other people in other offices could probably hear us it was probably really annoying but um so yeah, we, we co-wrote that song where I wrote Wall Morning's verse first, and then he wrote Horses part, and then we record, you know, like kind of shaped it together. And then we wrote the, the tornado together. And um, so, but getting to write that was really like, after we wrote those songs and that it's, it's difficult to just meet someone and then start co-writing music with them. But then after that, we could kind of divide and conquer. And just, there was that, we built that trust there. And then, um, and then we were kind of able to write more after that. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Wow. That, that's really cool. Oh, wow. Kurt, what's your favorite song in the series? Uh, Breathe in a Bag. So good work, Megan. I, <laughs> that, that was my favorite song. So. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and mine is a little surprising. I, maybe it's not. I don't know. Uh, but mine is The Next Thing, which is the, the last song in the series. And that I have a very mm. personal attachment to that song. My youngest son, Hugo, and I kind of belt into each other's faces. I am stronger <laughs> when I trust my family. You know, we listen to it all the time. We belt in each other's faces. And it's, 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 I think about it. So when I see it, I play out on screen. It's, it's a very emotional moment for me. So yeah. it, it was emotional writing that song because that was yeah. the last demo that I, I mean, because I, I wrote that at the end. We did it in order. So that was like, mm-hmm. I wrote that knowing it was the last song 
that we were oh. going to do. And then every time we recorded it with the actors too, it was oh. sad because it was <laughs> yeah. like, it was so final. And we had, you know, as so many of the characters came back to have like a little verse here and there. Yeah. But, um, yeah. It was, oh. it was like, I felt sad writing it. <laughs> it was really depressing. Yeah. It's yeah. really sweet hearing that you, you sing it with your, with your son. So. Oh, yeah. We, we, we love it. We love it. So that's great. I, I, I think um, if you don't mind, we have some other things besides Center World. I'm really interested in, in what kind of other pop culture you're, you're into. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. So we, uh, We'll let, well, I'll let Kurt handle these. Go ahead, Kurt. All right. Okay, well, by all means. Uh, it's going to be hard for me to do favorite. Mr. Sal is super good with favorites. This this this, this gets a lot harder for me because I, I, I have so much recency bias. I'm just going to pick, you know. Uh, <laughs> in any case, oh, oh, favorite live action series. My favorite one probably has been, I saw it when I was younger and it really impressioned the type, type of dramas I really like. So Breaking Bad has to be for me. There's some nostalgia in that now, so. Maybe if I rewatch it, it wouldn't be the case, but I definitely like Breaking Bad. It's just that. Okay. Uh, my favorite live action series is The Leftovers. It's the first yeah. show that we covered uh, on this podcast. And uh, actually, I see a lot of parallels with Centaur World. There, there's, a, there's a lot about uh, grief and hope. Um, uh, you know, it, it looks on its face to be about The Leftovers. It's not Centaur World, sorry. But um, The Leftovers looks to be about grief, and, and it largely is, but it's, there's also a very hopeful message there and a lot about found family within that series as well. So uh, that's my favorite. Megan? Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> I can only pick one. <laughs> um, you, pick you can one. pick many if you want. I don't care. <laughs> okay. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll highlight some that actually, you know, inspired the show a little bit too, sure. but um, one uh, was the, sh the series Fringe. Um, oh, okay. I don't know if you guys caught that one, but that I was with J.J. Abrams. Yeah, you know. It's, it's, I think it's like, I said four or five seasons, I can't remember, but it's really good. It's, I felt like it was a show that started as like a monster of the week kind of like, X, like a, you know, it was like a new yep. version of the X-Files initially. Right. But then, then they got really into this dedicated lore and story. Um, and there were um, about like, you know, with an alternate universe and it was so good, like in terms of just um, the interpersonal relationships and, um, you know, a, a fraught relationship between a father and a son and all of that. But like, and where the, where the actors got to play themselves from the alternate universe too. And it was just so well-crafted. And, and that was like a huge inspiration for the show too oh. um yeah and then uh crazy ex-girlfriend um was uh, another series oh. that was like a big inspiration too and that um um i can't i can't remember. i think that was also four seasons but really smart really um female centric a lot of yep. you know female front um i think it's it's the story it really flips a lot of things on on um tropes on their heads and yep. um it's also a musical series um and ah. Par Parvesh Chino who plays Zulius was on it as well and um oh. but it's it's um it's really smart writing and it's about mental health too in a big way oh. so All right. um yeah that that's a really great show and and also I'm from Southern California too and it's set um and it's set kind of in the area that I grew up and that's a big oh, part of it. Okay. That's a big part of it. Like it's set in West Covina, and that's when. Uh, so the the other ca character um, in, in West Covina, Glendale. that's yeah, a, a Glendale. Yeah, Glendale. The, oh, not the, Glendale. Uh, sorry. 
yeah, West Covina is West Covina, mm -hmm. but 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 um, and Glendale is a city in um, in LA too, in the uh, LA area. Okay. That's where like Burbank and Glendale. That's kind of like where a lot of us work in animation. Uh -huh. But um, yeah. So so when we had this other this you know doppelganger, we we naturally named her West Covina as a nod to Crazy Ex Girlfriend. Um, and also oh, my wow. parents live in that in Covina too. So, <laughs> but yeah, it was, um, but that show is, was, is really, really smart and, and great. Oh, that's um, awesome. That's so yeah, those are, those are two that I really like. Wow. I'll have I to put those on my list. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, um, other favorite, uh, favorite animated series other than Centaur World, you can't say Centaur World, or I guess anything you've made, actually. I'm going to cross off anything you've made, felt made. <laughs> uh, mine, I guess I would have to say is Rick and Morty. Funny show, occasionally mm -hmm. has a pretty thought-provoking or unique idea and moment because of how they set up their universe. I will say, I feel like in the recent seasons, I think it's fallen off a bit. But I think the first three seasons, especially, I really like those. So that's why I'd have to say that's my favorite animated series, other than Centaur World, Mr. Sal. Oh, uh, so interestingly, growing up, I was a big He-Man guy, which is <laughs> really uh toxic and so uh <laughs> mm -hmm. um and it's one of the reasons why i look for portrayals of non-binary morality now is because i grew up on he-man which had exactly zero of those so um however kevin smith uh kind of revived the series with uh masters of the universe revelation it's just out within the last year and kind of flipped mm -hmm. the whole thing on his head and centered the show around evil lynn rather than he-Man uh, and kind of got lambasted by the fan base because of that. I loved it. I, I thought it was uh, one of the most uh, worthy things that he could have done with the series. So, uh, and Evil Lynn plays a very conflicted, definitely not evil character. So, anyway, that's that's my favorite animated, other than Center World. Center World actually is my favorite animated series. So. Really? <laughs> yeah. 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 Um... Yeah, both of those are both of those answers are great. Those are those are both really great series. Um, my uh, gosh, this is a tough one. I really love. Um, there's an anime series called Nichijou. Um, I think the translation is My Ordinary Life, and it is about um, a group of four schoolgirls, and it is it's a slice of life comedy but it is so surreal and bonkers and the animators had such um clearly had so much fun making this show and it's um it's so many it's hard to describe it's like a lot of little sketches but um it gets really it's really funny and weird and um dramatic how they take basic drama between these characters or just like there are certain ordinary relatable scenarios that just turn into these big epic um and really hilarious vignettes and uh yeah that's that's a show that i i really enjoy i think i'm sure there are places to find it online but yeah i'm sure yeah. there are yeah i'll ask my brother and, and my sister-in-law they love anime so i'm sure that uh that they'll they'll be able to tell me cool <laughs> so anyway so you, you were big into a uh, you know big into music and you you know that, that was a big uh, part of Centaur World to musical. So I guess what's your favorite musical, live action musical? I guess I'll say uh, mine 
would have to be just because it's especially it's the it's the only thing I've seen on Broadway live, and mm-hmm. uh, some of the reasons behind it. But Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is probably my favorite musical because of that. And cool, I will, I will say that certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, so Sal, I know you're also really into musicals and yeah, theater I've, in general. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've done a lot. I've done a lot of musical yeah. theater. I've watched a lot of musical theater. My favorite uh, musical is Avenue Q. I don't, I don't know if you've ever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I mean I I grew up with a an IV of Muppets into my arm. So when I and, and Sesame Street. And so, you know, when I, when I it came out when I was in my early 20s, and it's about a character, several characters who are in their early 20s. And you can clearly see that the intent was, you know, when we were little, Sesame Street kind of told us how to do things and we don't have that anymore so we need a sesame street for adults and so that's what it ended up being and i i, I got to play uh, the main character princeton in a community theater production of it and oh, awesome. I've, yeah i've got a really special connection with that show so avenue q is amazing i love it yeah um that's a great choice uh muppets were a huge inspiration for centaur world too oh There's i know yeah. the, most of the centaur world characters it's very clear they were super muppety and <laughs> yep. glendale glendale in particular is is pure muppet um <laughs> down to the voice kind of, but, um, yeah, uh, it's, it's genuinely difficult for me to pick a favorite musical because I love so many of them. Um, I think that the one that was really, I guess my favorite went from when I was younger or the one that kind of like really sparked my interest in musical theater was, um, was probably Les Miserables. Um, and I remember watching the 10th anniversary concert on PBS and, um, (laughs) Yeah, it was amazing. And uh, Lea Salonga played Eponine on it. And oh, my I was, God. Yeah. And I it, was um, I, I, I and um, so it was amazing to get her as a part of the cast because yes. she's also like animation royalty. Like she's she's yes. been like the singing voice for two Disney princesses. She was Jasmine. Mm-hmm. She was Mulan. Mm-hmm. And um, and also, I mean, like I had just I remember re-watching that PBS special of like I, I taped it and rewatched it and um you know like because I'm I'm um Asian American and seeing an Asian woman play this character and um I just yeah like it was it was really powerful to watch that I know I've you know like a lot of other people in our cast also fangirl over Leia so it was like it was like a big sure. deal for us personally to get to get her to be a part of it and she was amazing and um so nice and so professional and yeah so so that was it probably Les Mis um just it was like a one that just really imprinted on my brain when I was younger sure that's a that's a great show that's actually the first show I saw on Broadway so that's that's oh really yeah yeah it was it was awesome it was awesome well we can start thinking about wrapping things up here and except i think kurt has one we have, more yeah we've got one final okay. question for you if you're down yeah for go it. for it okay one final sure. question me and mr sal we've had an argument you know we've had a few arguments you've okay. cleared up some things between us this is one it's constant i you know it's, it's I, I i'm sick of it so which is the best host the favorite host of show hoppers oh i'm gonna pick the chalk okay. answer here i'll pick the chalk one <laughs> i think i am it's me uh, yeah, and, I, and i and i and i think i am so you know yeah chalk so you have to bring no, the time i have no, the I'm... chalk though yours is really not the chalk. <laughs> okay well no I, you do not have to break this tie Megan. <laughs> i was but... i was gonna compliment both of you on on this wholesome dynamic i mean the fact that like <laughs> so you were you were so 
you were so Kurt, you were a student and sadly yeah yeah okay no um, <laughs> I, no yeah no it was very fun yes i was a student in his class uh four years ago it's last time i had him as a teacher oh that's awesome yeah, yeah I'm, I'm definitely i definitely can't pick a favorite in this, no, or i can't okay. pick a, i cannot okay. i cannot say that one of you is better than the other <laughs> i i made i made a, a show about you know about found family and about characters <laughs> that come like so i'm, I'm not going to pick a favorite <laughs> no I mean, we appreciate that <laughs> because i think i might lose so i don't want to i don't want to lose no. I don't, I don't, risk i'm willing to take <laughs> yeah so yeah kurt kurt was a, a student in my class two years in a row actually in his junior year and his senior year so i didn't um, fail it was two different classes two different classes yeah, <laughs> 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 i, I wouldn't right. have guessed that you would have <laughs> unless you did so on purpose because you liked his class oh yeah maybe oh that's... that would have been an acceptable answer as well. no, yeah, no, i, I don't know if you would like that, that though <laughs> would no. you like right. that yourself no, no, Kurt, Kurt was a remarkable student. So oh, it was, uh, yeah, it was, awesome. it was really nice to, to reconnect with them afterwards. And uh, we, we've now recorded almost, uh, I think over now, 200 episodes together. So I spend more time with Kurt than I spend with my actual family, I think. So Kurt is certainly oh, wow. found, Kurt has <laughs> certainly found family. So <laughs> for sure. So yeah. Anyway, is, are, is there anything that you're working on right now or anything you'd like to promote? Um, yeah, like I, there's nothing really else that I'd like to promote. I, I think, um, yeah, just any more eyeballs we could get on, on Centaur World is always mm -hmm. great. Um, I'm really happy that it's on a platform where it's going to be there in perpetuity. And right. uh, yeah, I, I um, the only thing I can think to promote is just to promote Centaur World and to promote the show. And we really had an amazing team that worked on it. And um I think I'm really proud of how it looks and sounds and, and yeah, so that's the only thing I can think to promote. Okay. Otherwise, you, um, yeah, I hope people, you guys have recorded 200 episodes. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Not this a central world, you, but yeah. Not a, not a <laughs> no, I know. So, yeah. uh, no, this is, this is great. I hope you guys just keep making more. Yeah, we, we, we certainly plan to. This has been, this was birthed out of COVID and, uh, and Better Call Saul, actually, but which starts next, <laughs> next week. So uh, yeah. at any rate, yeah. So uh, do you have any other questions for us or anything? Hmm. Um, we, I mean, we've kind of put you on the spot. So if, if I, you want to put <laughs> us on the spot a little bit, that's okay. That wasn't the plan. Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> I have to quiz you guys. Favorite ice cream flavor? <laughs> Oh. Moose tracks, easy. Moose tracks. <laughs> uh, that was fast. Not, yeah, that was really fast. <laughs> I love ice cream. Uh, I love it. Soft <laughs> serve, I prefer, but yeah, for being like yeah. a tub. Yeah, I, I, I uh, cookie dough, chocolate chip cookie dough. What about you, uh, Megan? Who? Um, I shouldn't have asked this question. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, mint chip. Yeah, that's a good one. Mm, no. <laughs> Interestingly, I just bought three half gallons of ice cream for my one of my classes last week, and mint chip was the first nice. one gone. So that, that, that was the popular <laughs> one. So so you're you're in good company. Okay, okay we do yeah. have one more thing from my other son Hugo that he wants to say to you. So if you would sure. indulge us for one more audio file, Hugo, is there anything you would like to say to or ask the creator of Centaur World, who is also the voice of Glendale? Mm, I love you. 
<laughs> he is good. he is six and a half. It's 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 really been interesting. That is, what? That's so sweet. <laughs> he's, he's a sweet kid. Yeah, yeah. He. Um, it's been interesting watching this series with Kurt because I feel like me watching with Kurt is very is very similar to my older son watching with my younger son because. Uh, my older son, Griffin, is the big, comfortable Doug guy. He always looks for the humor. Uh, and that's a, a lot of what Kurt does. He kind of, you know, really uh, highlights the humor of, of the series. And Hugo, my younger son, is extremely emotionally intelligent and, and looks for, <laughs> for, uh, for the, the depths that um, you might miss on first uh, or cursory viewing. So uh, and that's more uh in line with with the way i watch it as well so it's it's been really fun watching with them but they when he says he loves you he really does love you he doesn't really know but he really does (laughs) (laughs) um no this has been amazing and it's been awesome to kind of hear you know like your different perspectives on it Mm -hmm. and also just like to hear like kind of the way that your families or your family has been watching it as well too or just yeah it's it's really it's really cool because we were kind of, you know, like when you're working on a production, you're kind of making it in a bubble and you're making it, um, trying to make everyone else laugh on the crew. Yep. Uh, so you kind of have this, this family that you're kind of working with and you just mm-hmm. hope it resonates with somebody out there. So, so yeah, thank you for also sharing the feedback from um, your family as well. Oh, of course. And, and seriously, just full of gratitude for, for the series, for your, your time, sharing your time with us today. Uh, really highlights what a wonderful uh, person you certainly must be. So thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for creating this important series.